Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland, and together, alongside my nursing students, I bring together my friends and colleagues in an effort to answer the questions, provide mentorship, and oftentimes help other professional nurses along the way. Hope you enjoy these episodes. Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland. I'm joined today with probably one of the most hysterical co-workers I've ever had the pleasure to work with, and mentor, and my old preceptor, Lisa Robinson. Lisa has 30 years experience as an ICU nurse, six years experience as a nursing informaticist. I had to practice that one, by the way, because I was like, this up so bad. It always comes up in spell check. Do you really want to do this word? What? Yes, I play piano. Okay. So I'm going to let you do your own introduction. I know that we had sent out to the people that, you know, are kind of regulars on this little podcast here all about you, but for the people that don't know you, have at it. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm a a late bloomer by uh, the true definition. I'm a boomer and a late bloomer. Um, So um, been at it a long time. Um, Critical care was always my uh, passion. And um, so did that for 30 years. Um, a lot of that critical thinking and my uh, OCD anal retentive qualities uh, lend very well to informatics, but I had no idea what informatics was um, until I actually jumped into it. So um, for many people, they had a different career path. They were very goal-oriented, knew what they wanted, the steps to take, um, and that was not my um, path. Uh, It was a very broken road, but um, I think for all intents and purposes, it was um, the perfect fit for me because um, I would not have um, evolved the way I have um, professionally um, without the clinical experience that I had and then the opportunities um, after that. So um, I was um, working at Hershey since 2004 um, and um, in my journey to get my bachelor's is when I um, was first approached um, by the manager for the informatics team um, because I was working on a capstone and um, trying to get data together and um, had no clue. I'd been 30 years since I had been a nurse and there I was trying to get my bachelor's. So um, online the whole bit. So um, anyway, got through that. And um, when I first joined, I thought informatics was just figuring out technology and computer documentation. That's what I thought it was. Um, So along the way, um, decided to um, pursue the informatics, um, get my master's in it. So I got that done in uh, 2019 and uh, (laughs) really um, felt like I had come full circle. And again, for me, I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. You know, they, they say that term kind of loosely, but it is true. And then I feel like in the field of informatics in particular, um, you have to be someone who um, enjoys um, learning um, figuring things out, um, you know, using the critical thinking, of course, the, um, the informatics field loves nurses um, because of the way our brains work. And um, so pulling all that together um, and being able to um, be okay with not knowing the answers um, and kind of holding back and being able to listen, really figure out what people need, uh, what the problem is, um, so there's a lot of lingo that you might learn in, in school, you know, in your informatics courses um, that talk about, you know, uh, current state. So that's what that is. Just lay back, you know, have them <clears throat> explain what they want and um, take that into consideration and um, kind of pull some more information out of them. Um, very similar to when you're admitting a patient and <laughs> they don't have a clue. I take a little yellow pill, <laughs> you know. So figuring out what those um, gaps really are and what the future state is, what they're trying to get to. Um, So I love it. I feel like it's a little bit of detective work and I learned so much more about um, different practices, whether it's nursing or um, providers. Um, And so you have to have that um, down deep, you know, desire to really want to learn and be okay with, you know, not knowing it all. Um, and that was hard coming from a 30-year um, expert bedside nurse um, into a different field and talking to, um, you know, an 
EKG tech about their workflow and how to, you know, make it better and make some technical changes. And um, it, it was quite the learning curve. And, um, you know, it was a, a knocking me down a few uh, notches there to and be okay with that. Um, so um, I recently switched though to from working in the nursing realm um, with informatics to now I'm on the team for provider optimization. And truthfully, um, it's they've never had a provider optimization team really looking at their workflow, helping them optimize, looking at the informatics and um, how technology can you know improve their workflow. So this is all new. Um, we started in uh, November trying to form our teams and then really hit the ground running in January. So um, we do rounding, we talk to folks, um, again, just trying to pull that information out of them, understand, <clears throat> excuse me, the workflow. <clears throat> and then um, the COVID situation hit and that's kind of made us uh, have to pull back and we're not so much boots on the grounds at the hospital doing rounding anymore, but we're doing a lot of these, um, you know, virtual meetings again to understand what what their gaps are and help them that's really cool i for one had never really understood what nursing informatics was even when i worked um years ago with you i mean it was such a newer prof profession as you will in the field of nursing and we were kind of like just getting started into it and just rolling out a, a, a charting system um and then certainly over the course of like the last six years, you know, since you joined, at least it's exploded. It's mm -hmm. exploded in terms of charting optimization. It's exploded in terms of fixing what we chart and how we chart it. Um, I tell my students all the time, you know, pay attention to, to what we chart. And certainly it can be exhausting trying to chase down a rabbit sometimes, down a rabbit hole of finding information. And I think that nursing informatics really does its job at helping to contain that information and make it more available for people. That's what I'm understanding nursing informatics is. And then, you know, you guys started partnering with physicians on this, which I think is like mind blowing that physicians ever had this sort of like area that they focused on because they do more charting. I think, well, I mean, I think nurses do charting, but physicians have to do a ton of charting in terms of notes, in terms of progress plans, in terms of all of these other things, order sets, policies, you name it, it's gotta be charted somewhere. And I think that that opens a lot of new doors for nurses if they if they have their ideas that, you know what, I love data, I love finding out new things, I love being the FBI agent for nursing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The FBI agent of nursing. <laughs> in that chart in there and she's going to point it out <laughs> not like utilization management this is a whole different thing <laughs> that's <laughs> exactly kind of right myself. yeah exactly and i kind of got to crack up myself because like you know for one you as a person have that way about you where you just kind of like ask these questions and they're so nice but they're so like they just dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and it's like yes like she's really good at this digging stuff like well Ooh. and hopefully it's not like a toddler you know why no, it's I'm why? Like why? Like, <laughs> well, why? Mom, mom, mama, mama, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, and the other part of it, I mean, truly informatics has only, you know, been, I mean, it's been around for a long time, but it hasn't really boomed um, within the last 10 or 15 years. So in the scheme of nursing in general, it is, that is in its infancy. So um, it seems like like, where has this been all my life? This is exactly what it fits, you know, with um, the way I am. So um, the, the main premise of informatics though, if, if I could really just take it from the beginning stages, it's really about data becoming information and then applying knowledge to it and then getting wisdom from it. So that's the informatics, yeah, ba-boom. <laughs> So in other words, and my favorite example is, so you have data. What is that? Okay, so you have 117. So what could that be? Could it be a heart rate? Sure. Could it be a blood pressure systolic? Sure. Could it be a diastolic? Yeah. Uh, could it be a lab value? Absolutely. So what is it? So that's where then information comes in. So you find out, oh, it is heart rate. Okay. 
So you have 117 being the data, the information is that it's the heart rate, and then the knowledge is, okay, so what's going on? Is this a pediatric patient and 117 is completely appropriate? Yeah. Um, or is it a 89-year-old who's on Coumadin who came in and, you know, um, again, there's that knowledge piece. And then the wisdom is then what to do with that information. So you have the data of 117, the information that it's a heart rate, the knowledge that it's an 89-year-old patient on Coumadin um, who is also in CHF, and you pull together all of that, and that's wisdom. That's when your clinical decision-making comes in. You communicate that to the provider, you get orders, um, you know, go from there. Um, so that's the informatics um, scheme, data, information, knowledge, and wisdom. Um, and so to go back to the structure that is also the piece that makes me so passionate about informatics, um, if you don't have structure in the electronic medical record, you don't know how to pull that data in the correct way that it provides that information, lets them apply knowledge to it and then get wisdom out of it to make a clinical decision. So a lot of the frustration with um, all the charting that needs to be done by um, nursing in particular is feeling like you're constantly putting all this information in and tab, 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 tab. And um, so my, my role in informatics is to try and make that as seamless as possible and have you understand the, the importance of why it's structured that way and the value that you know, your charting has. Um, so we talk about people who um, build the electronic medical record and the people that use it to document, which is predominantly nursing, and then the folks that view it. Um, so it's all the providers, the care managers, um, all the ancillary you know, therapies, all of that. Um, they need to be able to view it so that, and, and it needs to be efficient. Um, and so that's the other reason structure lends itself to um, your documentation going in in such a way that it can be then viewed um, in an organized way as well. Um, and then the um, final piece is when we talk about sharing medical records uh, open through what we call interoperability, um, and that's an international goal. Um, but unfortunately, even nationally, we're having troubles, you know, getting to that level, and that's a whole nother <laughs> uh, six-hour discussion. But um, the interoperability is really a challenge. Um, so if we can um, get similar structures within electronic medical records and share that across the board, it'll be much easier for you when you travel to a marathon in Michigan and you, um, you know, damage your knee and you go to a first care and <laughs> you get that, they can pull your medical record up and see all the things about, you know, about Nicole. Um, so that's, that's the, you know, main goal. And then, um, the last piece is pulling that original data out and applying it to research, evidence-based practice, and the, all of that. So that is the complete circle of why structure is so important in the medical record and everything that you document is so important. I define so many parallels with that too. You know, um, the great example is, is the marathon of me going to Michigan because that might actually happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope not, but, but not the knee part. <laughs> Although I don't want to injure my knee when I do it, but traveling and running is definitely something that I love doing. And, you know, for so long, I think that, you know, you just wrote a, a really amazing piece that my students are missing, especially in their, in their clinical experiences, in that how do you quantify charting, right? How do, you, how do you quantify what we do to make meaningful things happen and make numbers just as you said, wisdom. I'm, I'm gonna like literally, once we're done recording this, like, and it's all my students, but like you need to listen to this. Cause this, this brings home like all of the things that you never really knew to think about, but you have to think about them. Because mm -hmm. we kind of drive home on, okay, what are the meds that people are on? What are the side effects that, that, they, that these meds have? Where does this exist in the charting? The EMR, duh. Okay, how do you deliver meds? Right now, like at least my students learn about barcode medication administration. Mm -hmm. Not every hospital is up to date with that. So how do you kind of circumnavigate that and, you know, jump over those hurdles that exist in that health system, right? Mm -hmm. And how does the health system do that when they want to move to that sort of technology? 
that's a whole other ball game, you know, that we've even had that we had to overcome some of those hurdles as well. Have they made it safer? Absolutely. I love it. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of it. I think that technology augments my professional practice so much more so than when I was kind of like a baby nurse, even to a not so baby nurse, maybe like a mid-level nurse. I don't even know what I am right now. <laughs> Your experience working, working in a hospital teaching, right? But like, you know, a, a lot of people can look at it and, and say, well, it's kind of like going to Walmart and being at, being at the checkout line. Well, yes, but we make sure that you're being safe 49 different times sideways and you're not going to make the, the same mistake twice. And if you are to approach a mistake, we can review it, not have a blame culture, but have a fixable culture and have a dust culture. And that way we can make nursing safer. And that way you still have a job and you're not, you know, stressed out about your job and you can learn from your mistakes as opposed to being blamed for them all the time. Mm -hmm. But I think like, you know, it's a lot more than, than what people think it is, if that even makes sense. Um, so I, I, I do see it as such a huge proponent of hospitals. I wish more hospitals got, you know, on the ball with this sort of thing, but here we are. Um, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say the, and the informatics role is really to advocate for the clinicians. I mean, that's our first and foremost, and you know, there's, um, there's some situations where we don't, uh, we're trying to address a safety issue um, and apply a technical fix for it. And some of it is just clinical um, practice um, and not so much that you're following a policy or, you know, some evidence-based thing. It's actually common sense thinking about what you're doing and, um, you know, making sure that um, applying the um, principles that you have and the policy that you have at the, whatever organization you work with um, and the latest evidence, of course, um, pulling all that together. But um, the informatics role is to um, really, like I said, advocate for the clinician, whoever that is, and uh, make sure that, you know, first of all, your workflow um, is is following that standard and then um, making sure then that there's a way to maybe add some technology that alerts you perhaps or you know calls out something um, and then you know if we can't put a technical fix on that workflow then it has to go back to um, holding you accountable for you know practice um, so calling out like you said some of those um, any errors that you may have um, the other part of it is looking at the data. You can pull data from all kinds of documentation from different clinicians and really look at the whole picture, not just that one incident that happened and look to see, you know, it might've happened before um, and why did it happen? And so the data from all that documentation really helps um, support, you know, um, getting to the root cause of what the issue might be for that safety issue. Um, and there's also, you know, we talk about all the, um, safety implications that, you know, informatics can, can support. Um, so, and it's, it's about the way that we, um, again, structure the electronic medical record to support the clinician to just follow their workflow, let them um, put the data in um, and, you know, be able to um, access that data to, you know, do audits or, you know, follow up um, when there's, um, workflow issues that just don't fit. Um, and that's the other part. We actually don't just say, well, how do you do this, Nicole? Um, we actually go and watch um, the workflow because a lot of people, surprisingly, have workarounds. <laughs> and you find uh, those very quickly when you just sit back and watch. Nurses and, are yeah. really good at those things. And yeah. I think the best person to look at those things is a nurse, right? Yeah. The shadow of another nurse and be like, oh man, we really do. We really do that, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes those are great ideas. Um, you know, it's necessity is the mother of invention. So it ends up, you know, you're, you're trying to find a more efficient way to get it done um, and still be safe and take really good care of your patients. Um, but sometimes it's like, yeah, why, why do we do it this way? You know, I like the way I saw her do this this way. Or, you know, I saw when he did this... Um, documentation, he went in this way and like, that's a great idea. Um, so it also lends to, uh, you know, uh, we call it an iterative process where, you know, you have someone who says that this is the issue, um, this is our workflow, um, this is where we want to get to, um, and you're constantly evolving with how you address that issue and is this going to work for, you know, okay, this is great for the nurses in ICU, but what about the nurses in peds and the acute care? 
Um, and that's the other aspect that we need to look at. And then what about um, when the therapist actually comes to take care of the patient, they're not going to be able to find this information, you know, so there's a lot of um, investigation on the other end of, of the downstream effects um, and making sure. Um, so in a institution like Penn State Health, where you have um, a couple different facilities, um, we have to look at, uh, and we have a couple different, we have a children's hospital, a cancer institute, all of that. So no matter what organization you may work for now or in the future, um, the informatics team advocates for that clinician, but we also have to look at all the other impacts, adult, pediatrics, acute care, intermediate care, ICU, um, outpatient, inpatient, um, there's, and then all the other facilities. Um, so Hershey Medical Center is an academic medical center, but we have all these, we have a trauma center, we have a cancer institute and all that, um, but St. Joe's Reading is a community facility. They have a completely different structure. So we need to respect each other's workflows and make sure that what we do is not gonna break someone else's workflow or tax them, um, you know, that kind of thing. So it's very, very, very interesting. <laughs> I think that that is really interesting because most times, you know, and I'm not just talking about my students, but when I see students from other universities and colleges come in and they want the experience of, let's just say, for example, Penn State Cancer Institute, you know, which is a wonderful place or another part of this organization, I think that they don't understand the ways about it sometimes and how different certain places are and how much we need to learn from each other and have that experience with each other and how different it is for the outpatient world and how different it is for the inpatient world and the ED world and the trauma world and all those other different worlds we mentioned and even like like peds and like my students majority of them love peds they love they, they believe that they want to go into peds I'm not saying there's anything that they don't want to do you know um but they have this idea like I love peds and then when they get there it's a whole entire different world and the microcosms of it are just so unique that you know it just drives from that point that you can't just assume that just because it's one big organization, it all works the same way. Because that's not how most large organizations work. And I think that when, when other organizations join together, for instance, Penn State St. Joe's and Penn State Health and you know Penn State Church, I should say, it's a whole different ball game in what you guys have to look at and look into and how each things work and how are the patients at St. Joe's Going to transfer to, to, to the Pete's Hospital in Hershey, and what happens if you have too many patients, and all these little things that you don't really think about but come into play when you're trying to solve problems for those things. Mm -hmm. How do you use your ICU experience, like the 30 years of ICU experience, how does that augment into nursing informatics for you? Well, um, you kind of touched on the social aspect of it. So um, some of it is learning how to connect with people um, from the get-go, um, and that's that's true in many senses of any role that you have. Um, but you know, we often say nurses meet people on the worst day of their lives. You know, when they're in the hospital and dealing with a crisis, um, whether it's ICU or acute care or same-day surgery, whatever, um, it's stressful. So, um, figuring out how um, to create that initial quick connection, um, and I. So a lot of that experience I felt was, um, you know, helpful in the beginning. Um, the other thing is to, um, to be able to use that critical thinking. And I know that's such a, it's a, sometimes an overused term, um, but it's, it's the way the brain processes. Um, so um, for my ICU experience, it's um, more than a matter of multitasking. It's, um, a, you know, you get that initial request that comes in for a change and whether it's an area that you're familiar with or not um, one of the first things is just um, not assuming that you know anything um, about the workflow or the actual clinical um, issue so um, being able to start by the initial question the initial problem and then um, looking far ahead to figuring out what they want to accomplish, future state. So to me, it's very parallel to walking into a patient's room, whether or not you got report first or not, um, you walk into a patient's room and you take it all in. 
in that first 20 seconds, you take it all in. Um, and you know, you're going to look at that patient and assess them based on what area your specialty is in. So I started off in cardiovascular nursing. So we were very focused on looking at those vital signs and then doing, doing the head to toe, but really focusing on the heart and lungs and you know, the rhythm and, and looking at all that. So when I, years later, uh, my last clinical experience was in the neuro ICU, much different, um, you know, more focused on stuff from the neckline up, <laughs> and, uh, but also, you know, the vital signs. So again, kind of taking that all in and being able to multitask and process a lot of information at the same time to figure out um, and um, taking that parallel from a clinical assessment to the informatics role, like understanding the ask, understanding the future state, and then being able to fill in all the steps between um, by asking the right questions. Um, I, think, I think that's such a parallel to even NCLEX questions and putting things in the correct order mm -hmm. and finding out the details and figuring out what I'm looking at, not assuming that I know everything, but assuming that I know enough and trying to figure out what, what the rest is. Yep, exactly. And you know, the, the crux of it is if you don't understand it, you need to ask. And um, otherwise it's the, all those listening skills. And, um, and again, that's all part of the nursing assessment. You know, you're constantly collecting information, changing and, you know, reprioritizing, um, you know, taking a different approach. You're taking all that information and you're making clinical decisions. And then you're also passing that information along to the next, level that of people that need to understand it. So for informatics, um, it would be collecting all of that information from the clinician, going back to IT and being that liaison constantly with the clinician and IT um, to um, understand and speak that language back and forth um, so that we can all get on the same page. Um, same way you do in the clinical world. You do your assessment you know, you'll talk to your respiratory therapist about, you know, the oxygen requirements or the ventilator settings and the numbers there, like uh, trying to understand it and process it and apply it. And then you go talk to the rounding team and you say, you know, you know, yesterday this guy was great. His breathing was real good. Well, and today, um, it, I don't know, it just seems off. Um, so that's the other piece is that little inkling, that gut feeling, that whatever. And that is the, the piece that takes a while to grow as a, as a nurse. Um, and, you know, we all know people who get it and are like that from pretty much day one. Um, and that's the same with informatics. If there's, you know, if you have that drive and uh, that interest, you, you start to learn the, the types of questions that will pull out more information um, from the clinicians, but also from IT because, you know, um, a lot of them, um, have varied years of experience with healthcare informatics um, and IT. So um, they don't really understand the clinical workflow um, and, you know, trying to get that um, information back and forth. So that's the part, you know, I find very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And pulling things from IT can be sometimes really difficult. It's not just, Hey, did you, did you, did you restart your computer? Have, have, have you tried that yet? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, I've tried that. Thanks. Just tell them to push that button. Can't they just push that button? Like, try, what, try just tell them to do it. <laughs> try the plug. Try the yeah. plug. No? Yeah. Okay. Is it a red outlet? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> there it's is no insane. red button on the patient assessment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah. That's no. funny. Yeah, we want the we want the uh, the computer to be your friend. <laughs> Just think of it as a repository for all the hard work you're doing, um, putting it in there, and then there's going to be, you know, like I said, from the whole spectrum through, um, you know, data collection for interoperability and research. I mean not just the doc who's going to look at your note later that day, but you know, that information you're putting in there is going to be seen by virtually millions of people <laughs> and help millions of patients, um, you know, based on the information you put in. <laughs> yeah, I, I can only imagine what the future might hold. And you brought up a really good point with the nursing instinct and that gut instinct. It's probably one of the hardest things to chart. Um, I think we're getting maybe better at it. I'm, I'm not sure. But it's something that I think I've seen at least 
when I read data sets of vital signs, of neuro exams, of belly exams, all that stuff, it makes it more quantifiable for me now than it ever had. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's clinical experience. Maybe that's, you know, the mix of the things that I've, that I've seen in my years. But I also think that the charting has gotten a lot more adaptable to that. Um, yeah, right. Now we're, yeah, and we're actually um, going to start looking at um, essential nursing data sets. I don't know if anyone's heard of that, but that is definitely something that is on the, on the forefront. Um, and it's difficult, if you can imagine, it's, it's basically standardizing on a national, much less international uh, level, um, nursing data sets. So in other words, bowel sounds the color of urine, for God's sake. We used to have 50 colors of urine in the drop down. <laughs> we streamlined that down. To <laughs> I think we have 10 now, but it's like, come on, really? There um, were so many colors of everything in the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Purple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're trying to, um, now if you can imagine, you know, getting a national, much less international level of agreement on essential data sets for nursing. So you know, that, that is going to translate for nursing students and nurses. Um, when you get your first job and five years later, go to your next job at a different hospital with a different health uh, um, vendor, uh, a medical record vendor, you will still see the same data set. So when you go to chart lung sounds, you're going to see the same choices in the, all across the nation. Um, so I'm not sure how, uh, you know, nursing has a, a very, very large and strong workforce. Um, and this COVID has really pushed that to uh, the forefront, um, large numbers and whatever, but we have not been real banging about being politically active. And mm. so I, this may change with all the COVID stuff, but um, so in that same vein, you know, we're, we're trying to find the right stakeholders to make those decisions about evidence-based um, content for, you know, is it really important for you to listen to bowel sounds in all four quadrants? That's one of the questions, you know, um, and we, there's a lot of fields in the electronic medical record that you could fill out, but we don't make them all required because, you know, you, you just need to fill out the ones that, you know, are pertinent to your patient and whatever, but there's still a lot of redundancy that we can get rid of um, that make no oh. sense that are not value added. Um, so those conversations are happening at levels way above my pay grade, but um, it's interesting, you know, how they'll come about that. But again, a lot of opportunity for policy, for research, you know, so those fields, if anybody's interested in them, um, that would be the ticket um, to say, do we really need more than five colors of urine? <laughs> and do we really need to listen to all four uh, quadrants? You know, my thing was, well, I never did pediatrics, but how do you do the four quadrants? <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, the size of my palm. Yeah. How many quadrants do you have? Yeah. One. I mean, I was always, I was always envious of the peds nurses because they could like, you know, turn their patients with one hand and, <laughs> and wipe them with one hand. Yeah. And that's it. Oh, what a great day. Instead of my back hurting, it's like, well, my bicep hurts today. Yeah. My finger hurts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. Um, you had mentioned in that brief talk right there about value-added charting. Can you just hit on what that means? So the informatics goal is to only have content in the electronic medical record that truly contributes to the downstream clinicians and, and to communicate assessments that are value added, that, that mean something to making a clinical decision. So if you hear no bowel sounds, that's gonna lend to making some you know, decisions and writing orders for interventions and things based on that versus, you know, you have bowel sounds in two quadrants and not in the other two, um, you know. So um, the value added part is only making entries in, for data that contribute to that patient's care. That's that. Um, we're trying to um, make a point on 
the things that you're assessing that can be quantified, um, but we also have to leave an opportunity for all that rich detail of narrative things that don't fit into a data field. That's why you'll still have an opportunity um, in your charting when you see other or a free text box or something like that, because, you know, in, in life you, that you cannot quantify every assessment piece and whether it be the gut instinct or um, a conversation with family that absolutely will impact the care of the patient. Like if they say uh, they've already, they've been on fentanyl, um, uh, um, Oxycontin, uh, they've tried this and that. Well, you know, if you're getting that information from family, that's more than med reconciliation or <laughs> uh, waiting to talk to the doctor. You don't wanna lose that detail. Putting that in the narrative is part of it, but that's hard to pull out of the chart as discrete data for all those other downstream things. Right. Um, so we want the nurse to be able to assess all those things that are, whether they're um, gen generic you know, patient assessment things, and then drill it down to patient specific things um, be able to put all that in there and have have discrete data fields for all of that that makes sense um, so that it is the way um, to have objective data communicated to the whole rest of the care team at whatever point that they need that information. So initially it would be the acute care phase, you know, when you're in the hospital, but a rehab center may want to look at that data and see through the course of their 15 days of hospitalization, what were the trends? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it could be about their um, functional status, you know, for physical therapy. It could be about their bowel sounds. It could be about weaning them off oxygen or the ventilator and then um, how they're doing now at that they're at rehab, you know, their That's tolerance of exercise. They're, such, you know, such an important that. piece. I mean, I, I can't even like say how important that is because for me, even working in an ICU, and then we downgrade a person, and then they go to a different unit, and then they come right back to us. But what was missed there that was not within the charting system, was not asked during questioning, things like that, that caused that particular patient to come back to us. Right. Because we work very hard to get that person to that next step, whether it's rehab, LPAC, SNF, the floor, whatever. For them to come back to us, kind of like, did we miss something here? It was there something that could have gone better? You know, how do we how do we take this now? How do we fix it for next time? All that stuff. Right. That and those are the trends too, because just like um, looking at readmission data um, that you're alluding to, that is yes. um, that all those components lend to that. So they look to see what their diagnosis was when they came in. Um, maybe some clinical pathways that they followed. Um, you know, for say heart and vascular. Um, what kind of interventions were done? How long did it take them to do, you know, get better? Or, you know, what, what different interventions, what was their, you know, path? And then seeing those trends and being able to correlate it amongst a patient population of, you know, 50 versus just doing one-offs and seeing, oh, well, maybe we should start beta blockers before um, day two, or I don't know, you know, any yeah. of those kinds of things. That's yeah. all, that's all the way that, you know, your day-to-day, hour-to-hour um, documentation really does have value because it contributes to a long-term com comprehensive picture of not just that patient, but every patient um, and, and people that are looking at um, diagnosis or, you know, age-related stuff or um, anything. Um, they can uh, manipulate that data to understand uh, uh, many different facets of um, patient interventions and the impact that it has um, long-term. And, and that's how we do our evidence base. You know, that's why things change because um, we are trying to get better at not having a five-year window um, for, you know, data collection. And by the time you print something and share it and have it change practice, then it's outdated. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. we're trying to be more efficient with that too. Do you think that, or, and, and maybe you know this, maybe just asking a, like a question that I just don't know about yet. Will there be an interoperability with pharmacies in the future, or is there already one where you get someone and their history? So as an example, I had a John Doe and they had a cell phone. And the only, re the only way that we found out their past medical history and their medication usage 
was figuring out where they received their prescriptions from. And that was a huge key for them. So is there something like that now? Will there be something like that in the future where you can kind of call a pharmacy, they can kind of link to the charting system, boom, up, up goes their medications, and that kind of creates that reconciliation for them? Yes. Um, so right now, <clears throat> we have a program called AmWell, American Well. Um, so you might recall that we've had, um, within the year, we've done a whole different um, intake process. So we have yes. that intake dashboard. It's fabulous. I love it. Yeah. So that is, um, it's through Commonwealth, um, and that is a partnership. Um, anyone who joins that, there's an interface on, from the technical aspects, there's an interface. So anytime a patient comes in our system, the first time they come in, it's a little painful because you have to go through everything, their medical reconciliation um, and um, their medical history, family history, you know. And again, we tell the nurses, we understand this is painful. You're the front line. Um, and then, you know, the, the physicians, especially in the emer emergency department, um, also are frontline. It's a little more painful. For the first time a patient comes in, any system that is part of this uh, Commonwealth. Um, but once you put that data in there, it is updated and it is shared with all the partners in that system. So, you know, right now we have it with Geisinger, Lancaster General, um, you know, it, it's all over and um, out of state as well. Um, so it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but all of those stakeholders had to agree. Mm -hmm. Yes, we're going to share our data. Yes, we've figured out cybersecurity, you know, yes, it's so it's cloud based. Um, so there, you know, all those cybersecurity issues have to be addressed and, you know, the PHI, all those conversations um, as part of this agreement. But, um, and again, like you said, once they come in and they do the, in particular, the medication reconciliation, um, it'll pull in their meds by history. You can see what ones they were on and how recently. So if you just see that they just finished a Z-Pack um, or they were on, you know, steroids for 20 days or whatever, um, or opioids, whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. um, and you kind of get more of a picture. And again, it's, it's a, a holistic view, um, but it also could be the only source of information we have if yeah. the patient is unresponsive and has no family and all those things. Um, so, and we have partnerships with, you know, Walmart, Rite Aid, CVS, all, you know, Walgreens, all of those pharmacists. So, um, they will pull in their um, only not only their historical meds, but their current home meds that they're getting. Um, so it is a, a huge win um, for interoperability. It's the first step for that. Um, so that's why we switched to that intake uh, dashboard, intake workflow dashboard, because um, it'll show at a glance what information has already been um, filled out and um, completed um, so that, and then that is used and pulled up from the cloud um, anytime that patient hits our system, any, yeah. any health system, yeah. And for those that don't know, it, our intake workflow, hospitals might, might not have it that are listening to this, but um, is simply this electronic method of collecting a whole bunch of patient data and it, into like a nice workflow space on the electronic medical record that you can input things like allergies, medications, um, past medical history, problems, family issues, vaccine information, things like that. Mm -hmm. all collected, all correlated, and then into that chart in kind of like a one fell swoop almost. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I mean, like, I, I feel like, you know, when somebody comes in for the first time, yes, it's a little bit cumbersome, but the next time that, it, that they come in or the, you know, the fifth time they come in, it's just all right there. We know exactly what happens. And for me, that, that's a little bit more empowering that if I'm filling it out for the first time, I know that I'm helping someone out later in life that's going to see this particular person. And I've done most of the work for them, and I feel like I've done my job. At least that, that's how I feel about it. But it's certainly a really cool thing that I don't think a lot of hospitals have, but I think some do. In some yeah, we're, yeah, all the ones that are on this agreement, you know, for the Commonwealth. Um, and so it's getting more... And it, it might be one of those things where, you know, you, you peer pressure, get on the bandwagon and, but it's, it's, it's crucial for patients. Um, and, you know, in your own example of when you, you travel all over for, you know, your recreation, um, some people travel a lot for work, um, yeah. but, you know, you need to be able um, to have that communication tool of accurate, up-to-date information about your medical care 
um, because that's a, it's a huge safety issue. Um, I mean, it is. it's not only like annoying to answer the same <laughs> 50 right? questions every time you go somewhere. Come on, question. He knows this. She knows this. <laughs> yeah. I know this. Yeah, and I, I really think anyone who's been to an urgent care within the last two years really can appreciate this because they, they do a banging job of, they do. Uh, wow. Um, so um, it, it is, um, that's an example of it. And I think with telehealth now, um, with the COVID, you know, really creating a, a, a rush for it. Yeah, it has exploded yeah. um, in the last two months. Um, so I think that's another opportunity where um, they, they need that the quick access to up-to-date and accurate information to make the best clinical decision for you. Um, um, and you know, that, that's the bottom line for safety. So. Yeah. I, I, I go back to your comment on recreation and travel. We only have in, in the world of like sports and recreation and things like that, or at least I've, I've only seen something called a road ID. And it's kind of like an alert bracelet for diabetics, for those with medical conditions, but it's for the athletes, it's branded towards them. There's not really something that if I go to ED, and let's say I'm like knocked out in the race, right? Let's per se that happens, you know, knock on wood. There's nothing that when, can, when, when you're celebrating at the well, finish line, right? Win, you know, <laughs> 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 better, let's go eat food. No. Uh, there's nothing though that if there's something that happens, that it, on that road ID though, and maybe this is an opportunity for, you know, innovation here, that they can scan that road ID and then all my, my PHI comes up. That would be amazing. But that's like, that's like the future of, of, of where this needs to go because I could, I could have my ID for sure, but there's something that's collected within that system that maybe should be uploaded to a system or shared in a different way. I think that would just be like, so much better than what we have now but yeah my husband and i have an actual pocket card i mean it looks like a credit card but it has a chip in it and so we've um uploaded all of our information in this form and we have it so we have it in our car because we ride motorcycles and yeah. something happens to one something or both happens. of us you know we need to have that information um however the the difference with this commonwealth is because all of these hospitals have a partnership um all contribute to the cloud um, the difference is it is structured in the, in the medical record. We call it a hierarchy. It is structured in that hierarchy, just like an outline. It's all the same. So it's not like looking at something on a chip or on um, scanning a bracelet and looking at something in a document that you then have to transcribe into whatever in, um, medical record your hospital system uses. Gotcha. So the difference, the difference with Commonwealth and the beauty of it is the true interoperability where you can get that information from the cloud. It is plopped right into the medical record instantly and, it and it's structured, you know where to go. It's the same for everyone. And it's already in the format that makes sense for you to, again, quickly make a clinical decision uh, to take care of that patient. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Speaking on accessibility, um, do you... Do you know of different ways of any type of charting system or any kind of like up and coming things maybe that have more accessibility for people of all sorts of disabilities, vendors, et cetera? I know we've done like things like your um, preferred name, mm -hmm. but do you have, do you know of any other type of like innovations out there or things like that that might have an impact on, the, on that sort of issue? Um, let me make sure I'm understanding your question. So accessibility for? Could be for people that are um, deaf. So you, you have your certification as a sign language interpreter, right? Forget. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so is there something out there that may be coming to health systems that would help to alert people or to help those patients that have those sorts of issues? Um, I'm not aware of <clears throat> anything specific um, for different, um, um, for the, to, to meet diversity needs um, yes. for yeah. physical or um, even mental handicaps. Um, but um, there's artificial intelligence and okay. there's a lot of different um, things up and coming with that. Um, 
we, we do have, um, just on a, another note, we do have a project that we're piloting um, starting like probably by July for, it's called Tap and Go. So, um, or uh, Fast Pass, I guess, is the other um, term for it, where you actually take your badge and just tap in kind of like the way you can use your credit card and do mm -hmm. your, you know, um, so that you can log in and out of your um, computers as you travel and um, you can go from a room, go to another room and log in and your screen will come right up, that kind of thing. Um, as far as meeting the needs, if there's some kind of um, physical disability um, for you to be logging in. Um, but um, that's a, a quick way to access the medical record. But um, other than that, I just know there's some artificial intelligence for um, um, tracking movement of clinicians in and out of rooms and, um, you know, some other opportunities, but um, I'm not aware of anything specific. Okay. Or, or, yeah. Just curious, only because I know some of, some of my previous students will ask about that, that are more in tune to those sorts of causes and needs. Mm -hmm. So just a general question. There is, uh, providers have, um, a dictation um, tool that they use called Dragon. Um, and that has been helpful, I know, for um, some of the um, residents and um, providers who struggle with um, their vision. Okay. Um, so I just thought of that. So instead of manually typing or having to look at the computer screen, you know, they're able to actually, um, it's not just dictation, it's actually um, going right into a clinical note. Um, oh, that's so neat. Yeah, it's an automated voice uh, dictation system. So um, that's another um, approach, you know, that I know that they're using for um, folks with limited um, vision, um, that kind of thing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. How much time do you have, by the way? I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. I'm good. Um, yeah, I don't need to eat lunch. It's okay. It takes a lot of work to sustain my figure. <laughs> so. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, that's funny. Oh, man. Moving over to, I think, one of your, one of what I think is, is your most impressive things is presenting at conferences. And I say that because I, I try to tell my students, I'm like, everybody needs to try to feel like a poster or something, like do something cool within your specialty because it makes a difference, number one. It might be nerve-wracking as all get out, but the things that you get out of it by, I think, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable are just like stupendous. Mm -hmm. What was it like? So I, I've been to a conference twice. I presented a poster once and that was, that was insane. What was it like? But, being a podium presenter, though, at a magnet conference. And I'll get into what magnet is in a, in a little bit, but I want to hear your take on it first. Yeah, it was, I wasn't sure what to expect. I've been to a lot of nursing conferences and, um, you know, you get out of them what you put into them. And, and um, so um, I wasn't sure what to expect, but it was phenomenal. It was uh, truly to showcase um, exemplary work by um, hospitals throughout the nation and um, highlight um, specific things um, that each um, facility had done um, to improve, you know, the nursing uh, workflow or the patient safety, you know, um, really innovative ideas. So um, they had, they always have great speakers, um, but um, to be a part of it was, was one thing, but to, to actually do a presentation at the conference was another. Um, um, to be uh, recognized for work we had done on a project um, that had value that they felt we, you know, others that were attending would want to learn this information and listen to us um, present this information was um, was a just a whole nother level. Um, so, and I, you know, uh, short of um, pleasing myself on stage in front of 500 people, I can pretty much do anything. <laughs> so. I have never been uncomfortable um, uh, in in a speaking situation. Um, I so um, I I empathize with those who do struggle, <laughs> but I think if you uh, if you focus on you know your passion of uh, what what got you there, you know what work you had done, <clears throat> and and you know the recognition um, of that work. Um, I, I think if you focus on that and. Um, work with your team, of course, you know, yeah. usually you're not a solo presenter, but 
Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was, it was fascinating. And then, you know, you're, they always say, if you get a lot of questions at the end, then you know, you did a banging job, you know? So um, I, guess, I guess that's true. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe like you, you shut them down so much where they're like, whoa, whoa, I'm just going to yeah. stop now. I'm going to, I'm going to need to fan myself off after that. <laughs> I'm done. You know, I, I can see that happening too, but yeah. yeah. My biggest, like I said, I'm not uncomfortable. My biggest thing is just making sure I don't get, say any vulgar words while I'm on stage. <laughs> that was my biggest thing, especially when the CNO is in the audience, like, hmm, watching, you know. <laughs> um, you know, because I, I still have scars from uh, back in the day when I was um, chair of practice council. And, you know, you're, you're in a room with your colleagues. There's maybe yeah. 50 people total. And it's it's a very relaxed environment and whatever, but um, I referred to uh, uh, the CRRT machine, the continuous renal replacement therapy machine, which is this, you know, big machine that takes yeah. blood volume out and cleans it and puts it all back in. And it's, it's a big deal. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that therapy, you know, doing it and whatever in the ICU, but um, I referred to it as a piss pump. <laughs> so, yeah, it went over like a fart in church. It was bad. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> so um, I've, I've, yeah, that joke I've learned to clean up the language a little bit depending on my audience. Um, but yeah, it was, um, yeah. So the, the presentation there was um, amazing. And it was, um, I think through the process of doing the, the particular project that we presented on, it was like an, a year and a half of work. Um, so it was so intimate to all of us that were presenting and seemed, uh, we were ha really, really happy with the way it turned out. It was about the IV reconfiguration project. Um, yes. We were really pleased with all that, um, of how it got implemented in our organization. Um, and then to share that, but then to have people ask us questions. And then I had people emailing me for like a year about, mm -hmm. hey, how did you do this? Or how did you approach this or deal with this or whatever? Um, and it, it just meant a lot to um, have, and I've had, um, I've established relationships with folks that were at the conference that wanted that um, little bit of extra um, back and forth with us to understand and help them get through it and implement it at their organization. Um, and so that was, you know, even more. Um, That's gotta be like so empowering. Yeah. And even just even like, more goosebumps then. <laughs> yeah. Goosebump-ish and just like, also like makes you feel like you've done something so amazing and you really weren't, you really didn't know it was so amazing until mm -hmm. people were like, oh my God, that's so amazing. How can I do this as well? Right. And um, we've been so close to it for so long. We thought, well, yeah, this is, you know, and we thought other people were, had sense. probably done this. And, about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then you see other people are so interested and, you know, and, and, and it makes a difference. Yeah. I will never forget, speaking of, of council structures, I'll never forget the first time, I don't remember who it was. They made me speak at some nursing leadership forum on the healthy work environment. And I had never publicly spoke before in my life and this was in front of all of the leadership of nursing <laughs> I was like I have no clue what I'm even talking about I have no clue what I'm going to talk about even though I have the slide deck in front of me I know my, I'm in notes all this stuff and I was just kind of like I I, I won't say I'm, I was thrown into the lions because I, I had a lot of opportune time to practice but I had zero clue what it was to publicly speak. I'm very comfortable at it now, as you can tell. But <laughs> I think I stuttered like 97,000 times during that talk. I was like, you know, this this is the worst thing in the world. But then I learned from it. You know, yeah. I, I, I was like, well, I was like, it's not like presenting a council, because council at that time was a room. Like how we had practice council, we had quality work with council, which I was the chair of, education council, all these little councils. And everyone just like kind of like got along with each other and was used to each other talking about things. So of course I'm like, oh yeah, we'll talk about healthy work environment and we'll, we'll relate it to the Wizard of Oz and it'll be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I well, just like, I think that, you know, I don't really remember if it, if it went over like a fart in church, but I could quite assume it did. Cause just like, yeah, that was great. That was great. You know, yeah. Well, we we've, we've all, yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah. I don't know. And we've all had, you know, seen speakers who do a great job and other speakers that seem to struggle a little bit. But I think if you are true to yourself and really, um, you know, you, you jump into that passion of what got you into the, whatever your topic is, um, that'll be conveyed. And, and I think what you're saying in my similar situation is 
sometimes that passion is just like, you just want to get it all out and <laughs> share it all. <laughs> you know, yeah, I have little itty bitty arms. And you just want to get all that information out. And so part of mine is just channel the passion. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it all in. So there's two Bring sides it of it. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. there's other times. So I presented at a conference two Septembers ago out in Salt Lake City, Utah, and they only gave me 20 minutes. And I was like, how? I got a lot to talk about. How am I going to convey this yeah. in 20 minutes? But I didn't know how, how long actually 20 minutes was mm -hmm. to talk about like pretty much everything that I want to talk about. I was like, oh, good thing I didn't talk for an hour because I, I A, I talk very quickly. Mm -hmm. And B, I tend to talk a lot about things that parallel things and try to bring it back to the one thing, you know? But you're, you're, you're absolutely right. If you have passion behind something, and you're knowledgeable about it, it, it just goes over so much easier. And if you envision people in their underwear, that's also a good tip too. <laughs> my thing is going to be envisioning people with their COVID haircut. That's going to be my thing. <laughs> and my COVID eyebrows. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was pretty much, I'm glad this call wasn't until later in the mid morning because, you know, I shaved my legs today and I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I have an event coming up and I, I'm going to be more than just like from here up on the camera. <laughs> so you have show to show myself. It's going to be great. <laughs> like talking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. any other tips you have for new nurses that are starting out that, you know, have zero clue what, what they want to do or, you know, maybe struggling or just want to hear a, a good tip? I do. Um, if you have any interest at all or want to see what informatics is about um, either way um, I would strongly encourage you to um, join a council uh, become involved um, and understand more than just your clinical unit your little world um, that helps broaden your um, exposure to things and out of that will probably come um, exposure to some pilot projects or um, some IT um, changes that are coming, not only on your unit, but maybe as an organization, um, so that you can then volunteer to be part of those pilot projects. Um, you can volunteer to be a subject matter expert. We call them SMEs, S-M-E. Um, so you're the, <laughs> yeah, there's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I think I'm Captain Cook when you say SME. <laughs> I, so, um, <laughs> you know, you can become um, a subject matter expert on a project, whether it's um, just a, a simple documentation change for your clinical area, or like I said, an organizational change. Um, and then, um, you know, you can take it a step further then, and uh, you can be a super user on your clinical unit for like a new, like, when I, I always jumped on board when there was new stuff coming. So when we first got iStats, that was, I was like, oh, this is so cool. So I, you know, signed on, I learned how to do it. I went to a four hour class, you know, it's usually not a huge investment in time um, to, to be a super user. Um, and then you, you know, um, you learn it, you do it um, and um, pay it forward. So those kind of things kind of get you, get others attention um, that you're engaged you're empowered, you're interested in, um, you know, learning all these new things that, um, and so those, and then talk to your um, staff leadership um, about being involved in those things. Like if, if a council, sometimes the council structure and the positions aren't, you know, they're yearly or every two years, so it's not easy to transition onto those. Um, so again, if you're more of a representative on your clinical unit, um, that, that would make you more visible then um, for the informatics part. Um, and the last thing would be, the last thing would be then to contact, um, you know, your informatics um, team um, at your organization. So um, like I said, at Hershey for Penn State Health, we have um, a team of informatic nurses that work at St. Joe. We have a team of nurses that work at Hershey. And then we have this provider team that myself and another informatics nurse are on. So um, you can talk to the um, chief medical information officer about who to contact or, you know, just look it up on 
you know, talk, whatever, talk to your nursing leadership about, uh, and you can shadow that um, informatics nurse, or you can volunteer to be a testing um, person for them for anything they have coming up. And, and especially if you're in a specialty area, um, we're always looking for folks who their manager will give them some time to be a resource um, to test things um, for us. That's really cool. I, I was just going to say, even if you are not on a council, there is something to do, something to volunteer for, something to just say, like, I want to get involved. So many different ways of doing that on a unit any, at any given time. Mm -hmm. And getting yourself out there and getting to know people and saying, hey, this is me. I like this stuff. How, how do I get involved in this stuff? So important because mm -hmm. then hopefully people will be able to segue you into that area to try it out. I think that was a really big key in Shelby's talk last week with um, nurse anesthesia school that you have to get out there. You have to know people to see if you actually want to do it because it's a whole different world of saying, yeah, I think I like this. And then when you go and try it out, it's like, nope, definitely not for me. Yeah. Yep. I don't think that that's going to be my, my thing, you know? So I think that's a really good, a really, really, really good point. And I, the clinical experience is key. I don't, um, I do not advocate, you know, jumping right from <laughs> uh, nursing school, your first year of, you know, bedside care and direct care, and then trying an informatics role. It's um, definitely um, beneficial to have a little bit more clinical experience um, going into it, but you can do these things along the way um, to get you um, more familiar with it and visible. Um, yeah. And so you can, um, always talk to your um, nursing leadership about, you know, opportunities, uh, like I said, at the unit level, much less than shadowing an uh, informatics nurse. Yeah, I, I, I always say at least five years experience of any clinical specialty before you want to go on to something else. It doesn't matter what it is, but I think it gives that <clears throat> the experience level. Mm -hmm. And the, the more you, the saying that I love is the more you do, the more you are. And that's true for so many reasons, primarily because it helps build your resume up. And then when you go into that, maybe that nurse informatics role, you have something, you know, value added that you can provide to somebody. Circle. <laughs> <laughs> I matter. <laughs> I matter. Go to that person and say, you know, this is me, I matter. But I also have these things to offer to you guys because this is what I worked on. I think that really drives it at home for people. Yep. Anything else before we close off here? No, I, um, I just, um, I'm glad I can share a little bit, just a snippet of the passion that I have for it and, yeah. um, <clears throat> and explain, you know, um, really the importance of, you know, uh, the documentation that everyone does. It's not, um, what an exercise in torture that we create between <laughs> IT and the informatics department, but <laughs> um, just understanding, um, you know, why there's um, the, the, why we have the approach we have with the medical records. So, yeah. That is yeah. so awesome. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you so much sure. for joining us on the virtual clinical podcast. 